for me, it's about doing things on my own terms. I'd like to be in a position where I don't want to have to work. I work because I want to. It's about time and the freedom to to live life on your own terms. Thanks for subscribing to the ZonCon podcast, the podcast all about Amazon conversations. These are the tips and tricks to become an Amazon millionaire. Here is your host, Andrew Erickson. He is all things Amazon, and so is this podcast. Let's have an Amazon conversation. Hey, hey guys. Welcome back to the ZonCon podcast. This is Andrew Erickson, your host as always. Today, I am here with one of my good friends, Mark Norton. Hey, Mark. Hey, how are you doing? Good to be here. Doing well. Doing well. How are you? Yeah, really good, thanks. We're uh, good. Coming, out of lock- coming out of lockdown in the UK finally, so all- all's good. Nice, nice. And I, people can probably tell by your accent and also by the mention of the UK that you're not sitting here with me in California right now. <laughs> oh, oh, how I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit where are you from and, and maybe like knowing... Oh, actually, let me tell everybody how I know you. So I think a lot of listeners know that I'm one of the leaders inside the Titan Network, which is a mastermind for Amazon sellers. And Mark had got a recent promotion from from member to leader, coach leader inside the network. So congratulations, Mark. Cheers. Well, do thank you. Yeah, and Mark has a really interesting story where he uh, got into the music industry and then built up a seven figure Amazon private label business around the music industry. And we're gonna we're gonna jump in and learn that story. But this is a nice long in depth with Mark. So, with Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit of your origins? Where did you start? Where did you grow up? And a little bit about your childhood. Sure. So I was born in Hull in East Yorkshire in the UK, which is not one of the, I think not too long back, it was voted the worst city in the UK to live. We lived in a, on the outskirts. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we lived in the outskirts. We were, we were considered posh, I think. So we lived, we lived on the outskirts and it was a lovely place. And then I think when I was eight, nine years old, we moved to where I live now, which is um, a little market town in North Yorkshire called Pickering. Um, my dad was a keen fisherman and there was a, like a fishing club in Pickering where you paid to be a member and they had all this private water that you could go fishing on. So he used to he used to come up to Pickering a lot for a hobby and fell in love with the place. And then, you know, they decided when I was like eight, nine, that we were going to, we were going to make the move and move to the country, so to speak. So that's when we ended up here. Nice. So he's a recreational, a hobbyist fisherman. That's right. Yeah. Um, so ah, he moved okay. up here and he actually got a job working for the government in the environment agency. So he was actually responsible for looking after all the fisheries and the natural natural habitat for fish in the whole of Northern England, which um, that was kind of, he fell into his dream job as a, as a byproduct of us moving nice. to the area, which was, uh, which was a result. So, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Following his passion, right? So when you were when you were that eight, nine, ten year old kid moving to the countryside, what did you want to do when you grew up? I have absolutely no idea. I don't <laughs> think I really I honestly don't remember. I think I was just a I was a typical kid. I I loved computers. Um obviously we're at that age where I think when I was six, my dad bought us an Acorn Electron computer for the home and it was like one of the first home computers. Um we would sit, me and my sister would we would buy magazines with that were literally just full of code. And then we would sit there and type them, you know, sort of line by line into the nice. thing and then save it. And then when you went back to it the next day, you had to wait 30 minutes for, for what you'd done to load back up so you could add to it and stuff. Um, so I've always been I've always been into computing. I was always destined, I think, to do something in computing. So 
you know, I grew up in this little market town. Um, I lived after a while. My parents, my parents split and moved away, and I lived with um, the parents of one of my good friends oh. uh, in a pub. So I, li- I lived above the pub. So I kind of, on a night, I would work before I was old enough to to work behind the bar. I would like glass collect and do all that all that kind of stuff. And I lived upstairs. And then I kind of, I did okay at school, but I wanted to leave at sixteen. Education wasn't for me. Um, I think academically, I did pretty strong. Like in my my grades were all A, B, A's, B's, and C's. But I just, you know, further education wasn't really for me. So I ended up delving into the world of work, doing whatever I could. And living in the country, there's not too many opportunities. So a lot of it was, I did a stint. We have a theme park down the road. Um, I did a stint there, working operating the rides, which I lasted about two weeks because it was awful. It sounds really cool. I think if you're if you're operating roller coasters and stuff, brilliant. I was not operating roller coasters. I was doing like the little kiddies kiddies rides and stuff. So I flitted around from sort of jobs job to job, bar work, until I think when I was eighteen, I got into playing guitar when I was sort of fourteen, fifteen, and my ex business partner Scott, who will will come to Scott in the story. He's one of my best friends and. Uh, I owe a lot to Scott. He he also played guitar, and he went up to Scotland for a year to um, learn guitar. So he actually did a went to college to do a guitar course, um, which I didn't even know was a thing. Um, <laughs> and I auditioned that I auditioned that same year, but all the places were kind of gone, and you know I didn't get in that year. So the the following year, when Scott finished, um, I applied again, and the kind of the guy in Scotland, you know, I travelled, you know, I drove four hours or whatever to get to this audition and stuff. And the guy recognized me from the year before and he was like, oh, wow, you really you really want to do this, right? So I said, oh, you, you're in. You know, technically, your proficiency level is good enough um, and you're obviously really keen. So so I moved to Scotland for a year um, and went to guitar college and I ended up with a higher national certificate in rock music. Nice. Which is like the, mo- the most bizarre qualification ever. Do you ever get on so stage and you're, and you're like, hey, I'm certified. I'm certified I can be on the stage and, ro- and rock your socks off. <laughs> Uh, do you know, I'm I'm really kicking myself because I actually, I think when I moved around, I, I moved back home and moved around and like, I had a folder like everyone does with all the certificates of stuff they did when they were a kid. And I think I just, it was like, oh, whatever and threw it away. Um, so I don't actually have the certificate anymore <laughs> to prove that this thing even existed. Um, but that was, that was a fun year. I worked, I moved up there for, for kind of an academic year. And then I finished the summer off working. I ran a bar on a campsite in in scotland which was a, a fun summer it was kind of that traditional holiday park all the staff you know kind of do the do their stuff while they're on shift and then they go and party hard all night and then kind of get up in the morning and you know go and open the shop and the bar and stuff uh, so that was a fun summer and then i move i moved back home again again not many opportunities so i wound up in a factory about seven miles away from from pickering and i was in a band Again, with Scott, my business partner. Um, in fact, I'd, I'd lodged with Scott in his house for for a year or so, and I ended up in this factory. Now, Scott was a, a graphic designer, and going back to my my kind of my obsession with computers and stuff, graphic design was always one of the things that I would have loved to done. But I'm partially colorblind, so whenever I oh. um, when I left. When I left school and tried to tried to sort of explore those avenues, and they found out I was colorblind, they were like, "Nope," and that was that. So, so I kind of I forgot about the graphic design thing. Um, I'd done this course, 
And then I went back to kind of working in, in local factories and, and whatever, bar work. And one day, I just remember getting a text message from Scott and he said, graphic design job, start tomorrow. Do you want it? And I was like, you know, whoa, what? And this was this was a long time. This was like when when you could only use a phone for text messages and phone calls. You know, there was no you know uh, taking photos and stuff. And I was so like, he's asking his color bl- I, colorblind friend to to come work with him as a graphics designer. Yeah, which is like obviously yeah. this just it sounds it sounds crazy on every level. Um, and I just remember being I was it was a it was a metalwork factory that I was working. I just remember being stood at this machine, and I was almost shaking because it was like, wow, this is this is what I've always wanted to do. What do I do here? So I just kind of, I went to my supervisor in the factory and I said, this is a really bizarre question, but I've just had this text message and the job I've always wanted to do has come up. Um, I can start tomorrow in York. I don't have any experience in graphic design. They're going to train me on the thing. You know, what? what's the situation? And the the supervisor, at the, he, he was super cool. And he just went, you can go now if you want. Just finish finish your shift now nice so that was that so i um yeah i walked out of the factory um never to go back again and that started the career in graphic design which is obviously the, the next part which we'll cover that's where the entrepreneurial journey started and it ironically it all still kind of ties back to the music thing so was this your first so so you got you get into graphics and then is this your first but it's, it's a day job at this point right it's not an entrepreneurial thing yet right Absolutely. So this was this was a day job, nine to five. It was kind of an hours an hours journey to get to. So this this was in York, about an hour away. So yeah, it was a you know to and from work every day. To, you know, two hours commute. Um, pretty much the nine to five grind, grind that you know most of the world put up with every day. And it was it was a pretty cool job. There was so specifically, obviously, a lot of graphic design work is done on Apple. But the the company I went to work for, which Scott was also an empl- employee at, at this point, they what they would do they would people would prepare their artwork and then they would bring it to us to to print onto film, which then they made the printing plates from and and it would go to print from there. And people brought the files to us to a check that everything was was suitable and ready to go to print, and then we would produce the the films for the printers. But nobody else in the business because they were all Apple, nobody, you, you know, nobody knew how to use PCs. So that was the main reason. That was one of the reasons that I got the job there was that I was very lucky when I took my exams at school, our entire school had four windows PCs. The rest of them were the old sort of BBC microcomputers and stuff that are now the skills that you uh-huh. learn were defunct. So yeah, I, I got the job, the graphic design job basically because I knew how to use a PC, but then naturally as I didn't really want to, look at other people's files on a PC. I wanted to get onto the onto the Macs and and start designing stuff for people. So obviously the colorblindness thing was interesting because it's a pretty strange thing to to explain. But if, if you show me two blocks of color small next to each other like red and green, I really have to concentrate to to tell you which is which. But when it comes to designing stuff, visually I've always been quite creative um, and I know what mm. looks good. And I kind of taught myself Obviously, in print, um, the, all the color models are built built out of four colors, CMYK. And I kind of learned how to build the colors that I wanted to use um, by learning the color values that you would use. So if I wanted a, 
God, I haven't done it for really long now, so I, could, I can't think how I would do it. If you wanted a, a strong red, it would be 100% magenta or 100% yellow, and that would give you a nice strong red. If you wanted it a little darker, you can add some black in. And I, I actually learned, obviously I'm not fully colorblind, but I learned to design things and use colors by building them using that technique rather than kind of visually going, oh, I think this will work well with this. And over time, so this company was was run by, so my old boss, Malcolm, who is now, you know, he, he sold the company and retired years ago. But he actually never knew that I was colorblind all the time I worked with <laughs> him, which was, uh, which I guess, you know, I guess that it, it was a proof that the theory works. You can be colorblind and, and do that um, because the, the guy who'd run this, this graphic design and, and print firm all his life didn't know that his, one of his designers was colorblind. So, so it was an interesting uh, interesting story. Nice. That's awesome, Mark. So that, that's awesome. So you go, go from factory work to right into graphic design and figure out how to get around your challenges, which is fantastic. And then it seems like you partnered up with Scott at some point to get onto Amazon. So let's let's hear how the you moved into Amazon. Yeah, so this this was just another one of those. It's almost serendipitous, I think. I just we just kind of rolled into this. So the graphic design business changed, and Malcolm, our old boss, he decided that he wanted to retire. So he offered to sell the business to Scott on an agreement that Scott could pay him over a period of time from you know using the earnings of the business because. You know, there wasn't a lump sum to, to buy him out, which was which was really cool. So Scott became my boss, my boss, and I was the only employee. And then over time, I, I I don't remember the exact the exact reason I ended up becoming part of the business, but we ended up coming to an agreement where I said, well, you know, I'd like there's only me and you in this business. I'd like to become part owner of the business. So then he he was cool with that, and he said, okay, so let's do what Malcolm did with him. He would do with me so i would buy in over a period of a year or two so we ended up kind of 50 50 owners in this graphic design business this what? was so around the I time want to explore that a little bit though mark like why did you want to buy in over that year or two to into the business why not just stay an employee i don't know i don't know if i was a control freak and i wanted some control or i don't know there was just some there was just something about the i guess it's being in control of your own destiny a little bit more than than, than just if you work for somebody you do as you're told and and that's that and and in the design business the the way that that was changing we were the first business years ago to do kind of large format exhibition printing in in the city of york and and we kept moving and, and pivoting onto different things and and some of those suggestions were mine and it was kind of like i think as we kept changing and kind of some of the old models died off our biggest customer was nestle so we did we did a lot of pre-press work for Nestle, making sure that when they printed these huge posters, they were all going to do well. But that kind of started, we, we knew that that work was going to start dying off as, as technology removed the need for, for us to print onto film and stuff. So I guess I was part of that, of, of the pivoting and stuff and, and just being part of the change. I just felt the desire that this would be cool if I could be part of the business and, and drive more of the direction and benefit from the from that change of direction as well. Little did I know that one day when a graphic design customer walked in, the next pivot was going to be a pretty a pretty wide, you know, it was a pretty significant pivot. So Scott and I were both guitarists, both still playing in a band together. Um, we actually did a, a tour of the UK while we were working, which was crazy. So like we drove up to Scotland one night, I drove back, went to work at 4am until 10am. When Scott came in, he stayed till two and then 
then we drove down to London to do a, you know, it was a pretty, it was a pretty crazy experience while we were kind of running this, this design thing as well. So we were still doing the band thing. And a friend of ours had a music shop, a music store in York selling guitars and stuff. So we were pretty pally with him. Um, and one day the phone rang at the design company and he said, I'm sending a guy in to see you. He's one of our wholesalers who we buy guitars and accessories and stuff from. Um, and he's struggling to get to, he's got some stock that he can't shift. So he wants some, said he wanted some leaflets designing to take around all the shops. You know, this this was old school. He'd, he'd load a van up with, with whatever stock he had on and drive around the north of England, go and visit the shop owners face to face and, you know, kind of sell his wares. And that's how he, that's how he, that's how his business operated. So he came in to see us to, to, to for a graphic design job. He wanted some leaflets designing. And we got chatting to him and he had a, he said, oh, I have a stack of these guitars. And it turned out he actually lived like a five minute drive from Pickering, where me and Scott lived. It was, you know, it was, it was just around the corner. He said, I've got a stack of these guitars in my warehouse and I just can't get rid of them. They're, they're, they were hand, it was a brand called Gordon Smith and they were handmade in the UK. Amazing quality. But for whatever reason, they just, the shops struggled shifting them. And this was in 2003, 2004. And we'd just found eBay. eBay was just becoming big in the UK at that time. We'd found it for buying stuff. So we just said, as we were designing this thing, we said, I'll tell you what, bring us a guitar in. Scott was a photographer. I did web design. I said, you know, between us, we can we can make this thing look attractive and we'll see if we can sell it on eBay. So he came back the next day with this guitar and he said, right, so this, this instrument stands me at £300. If you can get me £300, then you keep whatever else it makes. So it was like, you know, for the sake of, you know, writing a bit of copy, taking some photographs. And this was back in the, obviously, before when auctions were big. So we put it on auction and it sold for just under 600. Nice. Um, so at that point, we'd both looked at each other and kind of went, hmm, this is interesting. <laughs> so we didn't have to pay for the stock up front. We paid for the stock once the once the stuff sold. And it was mm-hmm. kind of like, maybe, maybe there's some mileage in this. So... We then went to him, how many more of these have you got? What what else can you get? And it turned out he was the UK distributor for a European wholesaler who had like 40,000 different products. So he had a lot of stuff to go at. So essentially, we started out as an eBay business and we were auctioning these guitars. And and, and it turned into a, I remember we had an iMac. It sat in the corner of the, the room at the design business. And we set it up, the email, the mail program, so that whenever whenever a PayPal payment came in, it did the you know the cash register the chiching mm-hmm. every time a, a PayPal payment came in and one of our design customers was sat going through some work with us and it kept sort of going off in the background as we as we were selling stuff and it was kind of like oh what on earth that sound and I said oh it's just we've got a little sideline business it, this was at this point we we're mostly selling accessories so it was stuff that was going to sell in more volume than than a guitar every week when the auction finished and we just said oh it's like this this internet business so it was like and he. Every time he came in, he'd be listening and it was like, cha-ching. Some of these were low value, you know, kind of £10 or whatever. So we we kind of just fell into this into this eBay online online selling thing. And then a guy saw what we were doing on eBay and said, I want to, I can help you do a ton more on eBay. So we, basically, he was going to take over the listing management. And at, and at that point, auctions were still pretty big. So there was a lot around timing when things finished. For you know, visibility came at at the end of an auction, so it was it was doing stuff when people were viewing, 
So we we got on board with this guy, and he set us up using Channel Advisor, which is still obviously they're still on the go, the kind of listing tool. And through Channel Advisor, they said we've now got access to, or we can get you kind of early access to sell on Amazon in the UK. So it was like, okay, let's do that. So we st- we initially started out as multi-channel sellers, and we had our own website. And through Channel Advisor, we we got onto Amazon UK, but we also went. We tried to do everything. We did. We did pretty well in uh, New Zealand. There's a site called Trade Me in New Zealand, and then we started. We went into translations of stuff and kind of did the European thing for a bit. But back then, it was kind of it was a wholesale model, but a very strange relationship with a wholesaler because this company in Holland didn't really care about the brands. They just wanted more products. They didn't do any work to build the brands up. So we kind of put all these products onto Amazon, and the reviews started building up, but we didn't own the we didn't own the brand. So it was a, a very different entry to Amazon. To, to Obviously, now we have all these tools and stuff well, to, to find that, the stuff that works. And Yeah, I think a lot of people start with the wholesale model. I mean, a lot of people I talk to, they they do that same model where they they find a distributor and, and they just basically take over their Amazon channel. So it, I know a lot, I know, especially people who have been in the game for a long time, that's that's a lot of them start out with that. But you tell me, why did you go from wholesale? What it seems like you're going into private label. Why did you go into private label? So both on Amazon and eBay, I think it must have been around 2013. We could see the writing on the wall for. So essentially, we were buying from a UK wholesaler who was buying from a EU distributor who was ordering from China. So there was a lot of people taking a piece, you know, taking a cut out of this. Yep. Um, and we we did well. You know, we we got. We've got up to seven figures doing that, um, but it was with a lot of products as well. And obviously the difference, because we were responsible for kind of, there was nobody else promoting these brands online. It was up to us to do it. We were essentially building someone else's brand. And one, we could see that the prices were moving in a direction that you just, it didn't, you, you couldn't have four people in the chain anymore. So we saw, kind of saw that coming. Mm. and we we took the decision at that point to to go to we didn't go straight to china to the trade fairs but we went to a trade fair in germany which is quite a lot of the this in the music world there's three there's three shows every year there's one in china one in anaheim and one in frankfurt so we went to the frankfurt show and we did all the um we kind of did all the we we did all the textbook stuff you know go meet get face to face with these guys and and get samples and do all that stuff. And and again, this was before there was no, I mean, man, I wish Kian was around for some advice back then. You know, we kind of made this yep. stuff up, Googling stuff. And, and even back uh, then, there wasn't much. For, for loyal listeners, yeah, for loyal listeners, he's talking about Kian Golzari, who has been on our podcast, I think, three times now. And he is actually on the inaugural podcast, episode number one talking about sourcing from China. So if you want to hear more from Kian, who Mark's referring to about sourcing and some of the uh, pitfalls around sourcing, the episode one and uh, just search for Kian, K-I-A-N, you'll find the episodes with him. So you're sourcing, so, sorry, Mark, you're, you're sourcing in Germany and then uh, you have a few issues. So tell us what happens next. So so we we met this guy and everything. He was a Chinese supplier. He just came over to Germany to the trade show and, and we ordered our first our first container of product from this guy with, you know, everything was amazing. The samples were cool. We kept in regular contact with him and I'm still picturing as clear as day, the day the container was delivered to our warehouse. And obviously we went through the whole unloading and that, you know, that's the other side. This was, 
I mean, FBA was was kicking around in the UK at this point, but it wasn't particularly so much. It wasn't a big thing at this point. Everyone that we knew in the e-commerce world had their own warehouses and had their own staff who did all the packing and you shipped orders direct to customer and all that stuff. So we emptied this container into the warehouse. And obviously, once we'd finished, that was, you know, you you timed the container's only going to hang around so long before you start paying extra. So all hands on deck, emptied this 20-foot container. And then we started opening the boxes and it was that. Like most of this is is scrap. Oh, no. Uh, and having, and again, I mean, I don't know when Alibaba started, but obviously there's this stuff in there's stuff in place with Alibaba now. So you can, you've got trade assurance and all that stuff. Um, you can filter suppliers to find the ones that other people have said of good and all that stuff. But there was none of that at this point. So we, we started going through, literally had to go through box. Some of them were okay and some of them were terrible. So we had to go through literally a unit at a time to, to see what we could use and what was, I mean, it was cosmetic. The, the product was still usable. So it was all cosmetic, but they we couldn't sell them at full price. You know, there was no way people were going to pay good money for these because the, the paint job on them was awful and stuff. So then we kind of, um, you know, at that point, I was I was pretty much margins were, you know, the old model was was starting to to not work with this, you know, this chain of four people in line, and then we'd gone and done the China thing, and and this happened, and I was pretty feeling pretty down about stuff at this point. It was like, what what do we do now? Do we We've tried the right way to do it. We've done it the best way. You know, we've followed whatever information we could find to build the relationship to try and stop this. I don't even know if, there were, if inspection companies were a big thing back then. It wasn't even on our radar at this time. So anyway, we, we sorted all this stuff out and all these products out. And I think it turned out about 60% of them were cosmetically not good enough to sell full price. So this was the first product with with our brand name on it. So we just said, well, the brand doesn't really exist yet. So let's just sell them as B stock and and do what we can, get some money back. And and this product also came in a bag. So Scott had looked on eBay. Uh, he looked on eBay and there were, people were paying reasonable money just for the bag. So then what we did, we stripped all the bags from the product and sold those separately and then sold the good units at full whack and we sold the the kind of B-stock stuff, at just above break even, whatever we could get for it, really. And I think at the end of it, we actually got our money back and made a little bit of profit on this container, which was like... Nice. Which was a result. And at this point, I was pretty close. You know, when when that container first turned up, it was like... Yep. Maybe I need to go back and get a job in a factory. Or, But then, you know, that's... I guess as entrepreneurs, we we work ways to, you know, to do stuff. So we, we got rid of that. So that's stuff. a fun little story. I think that's a fun little story for everybody because uh, that is one of the things that happens when you own your own business. Every, actually, everyone's lives have this happens in everyone's lives, but particularly when you own your own business, it is a roller coaster. It goes up, it goes down. You get some really exciting highs and some really like sad, scary lows, and it and it doesn't matter. Like even if you're doing multi seven figures or eight figures or whatever, you're going to have those highs and lows. And if you're just starting out, you're going to have highs and lows. That's a perfect example of one of those roller coaster rides. Exactly. And and all we can, you know, we use those failures to build on. We use those as lessons and and keep moving forward. And, you know, one of the big things I love about Titan is that people share the failures as well as the wins and let other people learn from those failures because it's easy to fail in this business. 
if you you know if you don't take the right advice it's easy if you just try and go alone and and kind of make it up as you go along or piece little bits of information together from you know a bit of youtube and a bit of facebook group uh-huh. um which essentially was was how we how we operated until last year was in you know going into seller communities and just trying to piece together strategy and all that kind of stuff so yeah so we had this we managed to we managed to create a positive from the negative of this container and then one of scott's strengths is people he's the ultimate people person and he's he always dealt with suppliers and and at this point we were still buying from uk wholesalers as well we sold a lot of the the famous guitar accessory brands and he developed a pretty strong relationship with a with a guy who worked for a a distributor in the uk and he just scott just happened to mention our story on the phone to him one day and this guy just went oh so you've not been to the show in china and scott was like no no we've not been over there he says, oh, I, I go every year. I've been for the last 15 years um, for the company that he worked for. And he pretty much said, I'll tell you what, I'm going in a few weeks to the show in China. Send me some business cards. And when we visit the booths that we use for our own brand stuff, I'll just pop a business card in there. You know, they normally have those little um, like bowls for you to drop business cards in and just expect a few, expect a few emails in a few weeks. And it was like, okay, that's Awesome. Thank you very much. And I think, you know, the guy at the at the wholesaler was coming close to retiring. And I think he'd served this company a long time, but I think he was just kind of, you know, I don't mind helping you out. It's not no big thing for me. And and their own branded stuff wasn't was a tiny portion of their business anyway. They were dealing with the big global brands and that was where where most of their money came from. So long story short, four weeks later, started getting emails from Chinese suppliers. And these so this was I mean, this was the golden egg. This was vetted suppliers who only produced quality stuff that these guys had um, had kind of worked with for 10, 15 years before you could find people online. You know, they'd, they'd done the hard work going to trade shows, traveling the world. So we wow. then, so then we kind of, we, yeah, we were just literally gifted for, for most of our products. It was like, oh yeah, these guys can do that. These guys can manufacture that. So then it was like, well, surely the risk has all but gone now. You know the risk is in the in that you in that what happened to us with this container full of rubbish. That there's the risk, but with these people, the supplier knows that we're friends with you and we're associated and stuff. So, you know, maybe we go again. So we we went again and ordered a few different products from a few different suppliers, and it all went well. And we're still we still use most of those suppliers now. So again, that was just one of those things where we it was. Well, I guess you make your own look. Maybe there's a, an element of that. That, we, but we we fell into this sure. this supply chain, which enabled us to. So going back to the brands, this other brand that we, you know, we were promoting this other brand when we were working with this wholesaler. We actually, because that brand didn't care what we did, they didn't even know that we were selling their products on Amazon UK. We actually used those listings that we'd built up for their brand and built reviews upon. Um, and change the brand name to ours. Nice. Um, <laughs> so, so we had we were very fortunate in that effect. In that, you know, we started in two thousand and six before when hardly anybody was on. Especially, I mean, musical instruments and accessories is a small niche. Um, there aren't many huge big hitters and big big hitting products in what we do. But um, you know, it's not wireless earbuds, and it's not taco holders and it's not silicon spatulas 
but with with not too huge a portfolio you can achieve the same result which is which is what we did so we kind of went from this when we were buying from the wholesale i think we were up at, at the highest i think it was about three thousand two and a half thousand SKUs, all done very poorly because you just oh, can't wow. do, you can't do that number of SKUs well they weren't all given you know if we think how we build listings now there wasn't really much of that it was kind of short bullet points just get it up there see what happens kind of thing you know back in the mid 2000s that's how things were done and then once we once we moved to the private labeling thing and then i think i think i saw ryan daniel moran on youtube and he was promoting amazing seller machine i'm not sure if i should say this out loud but i actually um got a, a cracked copy to get access to asm5 um nice. <laughs> but and I, it just all made sense. We 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 had the product, so it was just more about getting them ranked and and going through that ASM process. I've always loved being in communities. In fact, I was just thinking, as I mentioned, Channel Advisor. I I think I won the Channel Advisor Community Award at their first ever Catalyst conference, which I think is still ongoing now. Um, just nice. they had like they had like a forum, and I used to I used to go on there and answer questions all the time. It's something that I've always loved doing. I love sharing knowledge and helping, you know, if somebody's got a problem and I know the answer, why wouldn't I share that, you know, share that answer with them? I've always been like that. So having seen this, you know, like basically I had access to the videos in ASM, but without being a member, when ASM 6 came out, the community aspect of it was enough to go, right, you know, let's let's join. So we did, we joined ASM 6. In fact, I actually bought it personally and we, my wife kind of, found a product at home that, that met all those criteria and we were doing the thing in the uh, in the US. But what happened was, so she kind of started doing this and when it came to the marketing side of things, she just said, this this just isn't my bag. Do you want to take over this part? But when I got access to ASM6, I was then going off and applying all that stuff to the music business. And I just kind of let ah. this, I let this thing in the US kind of just whatever it was so a, you a, you did end up buying AS you, you did buy ASM then yeah we <laughs> the yeah, so five, I, but... I, yeah and then when ASM six came out it was like I, I totally see the value of the community and and the up to date training so so we we paid him but we we actually did that personally for myself and my wife at home and I sh- I should have done a great job of promoting this product that we did it was like a like an acrylic window bird feeder uh-huh. um um and it kind of. Nice. And so let me uh, clarify for everyone. So ASM is Amazing Selling Machine, which is a, a beginner course for uh, to learn how to do private label on Amazon. So it, it focuses on private label, not on wholesale or anything else like that. But it has the whole entry of like how to do barcodes and how to find a product and how to source a product and stuff like that. It's a great place to get started. If you are interested, if you if you have not started private label, the, it's a great place to start. We, there is a link in the show notes if you want to check that stuff out. Sure, yeah. So we... Um effectively what happened was I just applied all the same. I started applying ASM stuff to our music business and kind of just let this, this side project that we'd done at home fizzle away. I think we did well without really doing anything. We just did really well in Q4, you know, in the rush up to Christmas, people bought it for gifts, but then we started getting problems with, you know, like this is a thing that you stick to the window and people weren't cleaning the windows. So they started falling off and breaking. Yeah. Um, so we kind of said, well, Maybe we didn't pick a great product or maybe, you know, we didn't give it enough. I, should I say, I'm, I'm saying we, I didn't give it the love that it needed and the attention that it needed to to have done it really well. So 
we actually the business paid for the ASM subscription because we you know for the course because effectively I was just using it on this music stuff. So we did that. We did yeah. We joined ASM six. Although we we already had this, we already had a ton of products. We had the the catalog already. It was just a case of of getting them running as well as possible. And then we we kind of we rolled on rolled on like that for a, for a few years. And I was kind of making things up as I as I went along, as I think a lot of people do. And I was in six hundred Facebook groups, and I was watching loads of YouTube channels, trying to think of different ways to launch new products. And then I, I don't remember how I think I, I saw an advert for Titan, and it was a it was a webinar last year about product launching, and I can still remember very clearly actually there was like all you guys were on the on the call, and I remember Justin went through the his his launch process and everything just made so much sense, and obviously at the end of the webinar was the office to join Titan and it was like we have to do this this is. I'd spent so long and so many years, again, piecing all these little bits together and, and trying to come up with a system of our own that would that would be effective. And just everything about that webinar was like, we need to be here. We need to be around these people. So pretty much, I don't think Scott was convinced at first ah. <laughs> um, because it because it because it was a, obviously it was a bit it was a business decision between the two of us. But I said, I think we need to to go ahead and do this, and we joined in the first. The first products I launched using the Titan method, we hit a category BSR of one during the launch. Wow! Um, nice. Which is which is a, a pretty strong signal of the effectiveness of the of the method. So and then, to clarify, um, uh, so a BSR of one is a bestseller rank, which means he was number one ranked in all of Amazon. I'm guessing Amazon.uk, right? It, this is just UK, yeah. Yeah. So so he was number one ranked on the entire website of Amazon for his subcategory, which I'm guessing is music and, and instruments. So number one ranked yeah. using this launch technique. Yeah. So and obviously then we saw that and it was like, wow, this is this is amazing. Um and because I love the whole community aspect and and helping people when we when we joined Titan and I saw all these people posting questions, it's like, oh yeah, I know the answer to that. I know the answer to that. Probably spent way too much time in Titan, yeah. um, if I'm honest, and not enough time working on my own business. But I just I, I love helping people, so I don't know. I, that's just that just happened. And then after a couple of months, after I remember, so we were in a group four huddle, um, and Lyden messaged me and said, "Can you give me a call after the thing?" And then he he so we had a phone call, and he just said, "Would you like to become a mentor?" Which I jumped at the chance. And I, I spent a lot of time helping. So obviously, inside the inside the Titan network, we have different groups for for different stages of the journey. So if you've not ordered a product or done anything before, you go into Group Zero, and then when you order a product, uh, you go up into Group One for launch, and then you proceed up two, three, and four. Um, I ended up spending a lot of time in in Group One, helping those guys that had ordered a product, and then they were like, "Right, how do we, you know, how do we get this thing to fly?" Um, I, I just loved every minute of every huddle. I just loved being around, you know, being able to help people to achieve what they wanted to achieve, but they were missing maybe the technical, the steps, the know-how, the you know, those little intricate bits that that come with experience. So, yeah, I, and Group 1 was just like, wow, I love this. And then, so we did that for a while. And then, obviously, not too long ago, I got, I was asked the question if I'd like to become a leader, which I jumped at. It's um very fulfilling. Yes, uh, I love it, Mark. Yes, that makes me happy. And this is this is why we uh, picked you because you were uh, 
You, you were actually putting all of us to shame because there's this little ranking thing we have and you were all the leaders like compete for sort of it's a it's a soft competition. We all compete for like most interactions on the site and you would just blow us all away. Like literally like the top three guys combined or top, you know, two through four combined would be as much activity as Mark does on the network. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> and uh, we're, <laughs> we're going to do a full in-depth on launching. Mark's going to tell us the, some of those little, like he said, little intricate parts of launching. We're going to do a full uh, episode and it'll be coming out a few episodes after this one's published. Uh, maybe the next episode, we'll see. But yeah, so Mark, why don't you tell us a little bit about so far being a leader inside of Titan? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I absolutely love it. Um, even just before I was a leader, just being part of the network, there's that that thing about, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend your most time with. And we joined we joined Titan just, I think it was like two weeks before the first COVID lockdown in the UK, where everything was down for three months. So then I spent a lot of my time, in fact, I spent all my time either with my family or in Titan with, you know, spending time in not only in huddles as a member, but as a mentor with other leaders um and on work parties with other leaders and it just like the group four huddle you know where you you're in with seven and multi seven you know some eight figure sellers just being around those people you you can't help it just picks you up the, the, you know it just lifts you up and you you can't you can't stop it so while obviously the last you know the last year through covid for many people has been an awful year. It's been by far the best year I've ever had in growth personally and business. You know, we surrounded ourselves with the right people and as a side, you know, which grew, which grew the business. And personally, I got also to, you know, to fulfill my, my aim of helping people as well. So by becoming a mentor in there, which, which was really cool and, and leading's becoming a leader is awesome. One of the, one of the other bits I love. So obviously I lead group three at the moment um in titan um but i also lead a group called titan tough which is kind of the the personal development track while it's not there's no official training in there but um i went through several years in the last five or six years with depression a bit of anxiety and kind of i think the the best way to put it was that i was existing rather than living and at Celicon 2017 or 2018 I remember it like it got Jason Katzenbach was speaking at the end of this conference and he was like the fifth person to have mentioned the miracle morning. So after like when the fifth person mentioned it, it was like, so Robert Kiyosaki was the first. It's like, if he suggests doing it, that's a pretty strong recommendation. And then like, so I'm, I'm kind of like sat there at this conference watching, you know, taking notes and soaking all this stuff up. And it's like all these successful people are mentioning this miracle morning. So I, while Jason Katzenbach was doing his keynote, I actually opened the laptop up and ordered it so that it was kind of on the doorstep when I got home. And that was the start of of literally turning my life around mentally, you know, realizing that I'm 100% responsible for my success, how I feel. I'm 100% responsible for it, it. That's all internal. There's no need to look externally. So I kind of ended up on this personal development journey. And while I was a mentor in Titan, I just happened to mention that I was doing a, a challenge in, I think it was last October, which was kind of a watered down version of the 75 hard program. I was just doing a, a, a slightly easier version of that. And I just posted in the network, would anybody like to join in? And then, so then there was like 15 or 20 people said, yeah, hell yeah, I'll come and do it. 
and then it kind of snowballed a, a little bit, I think. And there was, I think it was always the intention of the network to do something like this. Um, and it kind of ties in with the accountability program we have in Titan as well. So then, I don't know, a couple of months after I, I got the message and they said, look, would you like to run this as an internal group in Titan? We'll call it Titan Tough. And we, we, we set off, it was, it was wholly around personal development. So we, we started doing 30-day challenges. So the first one was the Miracle Morning Challenge um, because that I knew the effect it had on me. And it's kind of, I would love for everybody, you know, as many people as possible to experience that same change. So we did that. And then we, it kind of, it's still a work in progress. You know, we're going to be coming, Titan Tough version 2.0 will be, will be coming soon. And I think eventually we're going to end up with an actual personal development training track where I think the thing, the miracle morning thing and, and personal development taught me was that as an entrepreneur, you are the, you underpin everything. And if you're not performing at your best, your business won't perform at your best. And I don't remember who said it, but work as hard on yourself as you work on your business. So it's kind of, I've started taking that, that kind of tack on things and in tight and tough we so it's totally optional, but we encourage people to to just start building habits that will that will serve them as as humans, not just as business people. So Titan Tough's a really, really rewarding part of of what I do in Titan as well. I love that. Wow. Oh, I love that. It's it's funny the the I guess the people who do entrepreneurship are really into business development and personal development because every person I meet who owns their own business, they also have some pretty intricate diet or exercise or other kind of like personal development stuff. So yeah, it's it's funny that you'd think that meditating and and stretching and exercising and stuff wouldn't be really correlated at all to entrepreneurship, but they are almost almost one hundred percent. The Venn diagram is like ninety percent overlap with those two groups of people. Absolutely, and I I remember when I I didn't even read the synopsis of the book when I bought it that day in Orlando or wherever it was. I don't I don't remember which silicon it was. And then when I got home and kind of went through what it was about, it was like, oh, really? Meditation, affirmations, visualization. Uh, you know, it was just like, oh, this just, it's not me. And then I, I kind of thought back to that. You know, I put myself back in that seat at the conference, thinking of the people that had said, this stuff's important. And the I think the other quote that triggered that was, um, which Jason Katzenbach mentioned, was the Jim Rohn one, that your level of success will seldom exceed your level of personal development. And that one kind of stuck in my head. So I read the Miracle Morning book and I couldn't help but be inspired by it, but I was still very, eh, does all this stuff work? And then, you know, 30 days later, it's like, wow, this stuff really does work. And then the business started performing better. I was, you know, I was buzzing. And when you perform better, the business performs better. So it's a, like you say, that correlation is huge. So with Tight and Tough, we are about, helping other people to realize that that correlation. I spoke to someone in Cancun on one of the sort of pool networking things, and she started doing this miracle morning. We did the challenge together and she was just like, she ended up in tears and saying how much this had changed, not just her, her business, but her, her marriage. Um, but the business had come oh, on, wow. you know, super strong. And then because of, because of how she was changing and her approach to the business, her husband, who'd kind of been a bit a little off to the side in the business, not really involved. He was like, oh, wow, this is actually this. I can see the potential in this. I want, you know, can I be involved in it? So that brought them together as well, which made the business stronger. So it's just, yeah, in so many, there's so many powerful ways that it can it can work. So a very rewarding part of, of leadership, yeah. 
Wow. Oh, I love that. I love that. So to clarify for everybody, the the, the pool mastermind in Cancun, that was a Titan event. So we all, uh, all the members, a member only event in, in Cancun that we did fairly recently. It was uh, all very COVID conscious. We had tests and everything else around it. But yeah, it, it was a fantastic event. There was uh, 80 of us or so um, all in Cancun. All there's, there's a few beginners, but mostly intermediate and a lot of advanced people, seven-figure and even eight-figure sellers there at that event. And didn't mean for this whole thing to like turn into a Titan ad by any means, but if you do want to join Titan, the link, it is a fantastic place to learn about business, but learn about Amazon and to grow your business. And also, like Mark mentioned, to grow your your personal development as well. And the, there is a link in the show notes for that. Um, Mark, I want to jump into the three questions. We, we've had a, like a really fun conversation. I appreciate every all the stories you told to us about everything. I love asking everybody the same three questions. And I want to ask you, we, we already heard in your story quite a bit, but I want to hear the concise answer. What's your big why? Why are you building your business instead of and doing the entrepreneurial thing instead of just working for someone else on a nine to five job? I think for me, it's about doing things on my own terms. I'd like to be in a position where I don't want to have to work. I work because I want to. So it's about obviously financial freedoms, a part of that. But for me, it's about time as well. One one thing which I actually didn't cover earlier is that I wanted to to exit. Uh, I wanted to sell the music business, but Scott didn't. So he wanted to. He was happy with it, you know, as an ongoing income. I wanted to build and sell. So we, in April last year, we kind of had the chat, and it's kind of there is no other way to do this but to split the business up into two companies, and I'll take, you know, I'm part of the company, and you're part of the company. At that point, I was still very much working full time, which I didn't want. I wanted to be in a position where I had time to to spend with my kids if I wanted to, to spend with my wife if I wanted to while the kids were at school. My wife works in my new, in the new business with me. Um, she's super awesome. She's worked with both of our business. Uh, she does all our bookkeeping and she's she's been a phenomenal asset to the old company and to the new one. So yeah, it's about time and the freedom to to live life on your own terms. So I'm looking forward to, uh, my plan is I've, I've taken, so we split the business so that I have half of the profitable products and Scott took half of the profitable products. I'm going to build those up. Up until now, we, we're still only in the UK, but now I'm in a position where all our products have like, do really well with reviews. So I'm going to launch a few of those in the US just to start that, start the bit, you know, ramping up a lot quicker. But then obviously when it goes to somebody to, you know, when it, when it goes on the market to sell, there's still going to be a ton of growth available because there's going to be there's a lot of products that can sell in the US. Um, they literally just need the launch process, um, carrying out, you know, all the reviews are there and everything. And then we're going to sell that and then probably start. I've already got my eye on some on a on a new product, which is pretty unique for a new brand. But I want it. I want it to be hands off. Nice. And uh, yeah, give us the give us give us the time to live life how we want to live it, not be dictated by how much money's in the bank as to what experiences you live and all that stuff. Perfect. So so living a freedom lifestyle, right? And so like I always define freedom lifestyle as uh, working whenever with whomever for as long as you want on whatever you want. So it sounds like that's Absolutely. what you're you're striving for right there. Nice. I love it, Mark. Tell us what is a favorite book or a website or podcast you want to share with the audience. 
Well, I think podcast, obviously, there's this like Zoncon podcast, it's called. That's yep. a, that's a, that's a tip. Um, I'm, I'm going to give two, I'm going to give two books if that's okay. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, one personal development, and so obviously the Miracle Morning I've already covered, absolute life changer, and we saw just from what we did in Tight and Tough that that started changing lives just in that small group of people we did it with, and it, it's just a phenomenal resource, um, very, and just totally actionable. All you need is the book. There's no upsells to courses or anything like that. It's just literally read the book and carry the stuff out. Um, on the not so much business, but productivity. The one thing, Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. That's a good one. I re- in fact, I, I remember that. So going back to that webinar that I watched before I joined Titan, it was written on a whiteboard behind your head. What's the one thing I could do is such by doing it. Um, yeah. So that, that quote was, and that was, I actually asked in the chat on that webinar, what's that quote? And Chris Rawlings put, it's, it's a quote from the one thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, which led me to buy the book. Um, and oh, you you bought the book based on the the whiteboard thing behind my back. Yeah. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think part of the miracle morning is reading. So you like you do. I get through quite a few books now, and the one thing when I it's one of my that I'll read it two or three times a year just to just to go back over it and keep it going in. But when you do start, you know sifting away all the rubbish that you don't really need to be thinking about and just focus on one thing the most important thing that you can do that day like it's just like in the book it explains it's like dominoes toppling and you can topple bigger dominoes just with the momentum so yeah absolutely the one thing if you've not read it i found the quote it's a must read it's what's the one thing i can do such that by doing it everything else will be easier or unnecessary so that then, like you said, it's a perfect example is the domino effect, right? The one thing is to push the first domino and everything else becomes easier and unnecessary once you do that one domino push. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great Absolutely idea. phenomenal book. I love that book. And then tell us, Mark, what's one actual thing that Amazon sellers can do today? So from running the launch work party inside of Titan, you know, like the, it's like a weekly call that's Zoom call where people can ask large questions. In Titan, we have the our sales tracker, and we teach people to monitor all their metrics daily, all the stuff that matters. So the you know sessions, unit session percentage, PPC spend, um, the split between organic and PPC sales, and we do that every day because the answer to every question as regards if something goes wrong and sales go down, if you've got that information. The answer is, you know, you just literally look at the sheet and you can see whether it's because traffic's down, something's happened to conversion or something's gone wrong with your PPC and the spend's dropped, which is why your traffic's down. Or you can see your organic ranking drop. Just keeping track of of the important numbers every day for each product um, is probably the most actionable thing you can do. It's The answers are always there. Every single question we have asked in the launch work party every Monday is answerable by looking at the sheet with that information in, more or less. Track your products, track your sales, track your PPC, tracking them daily and reviewing them consistently. So weekly reviews or biweekly, whatever it is, uh, that that's the one thing I love it, Mark. Thanks. Awesome. All right, Mark. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. We're going to have you come on and tell us about launching products on Amazon later. So, But thank you for the in-depth this week. Thank you for having me, buddy. It's an honor.